You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. Thank you for being here on this less than a bright and sunny, cheerful day. It is a wonderful day in the Lord's house, though, and so grateful that we can worship together. Just a couple of announcements uh, I want to make. Well, just one announcement. That is, if you did not sign up for the um, Discovery Lunch after the second service, it doesn't matter. If you are new to Grace, you'd like to get to meet some of the elders and staff members, and just we'll talk informally, casually. We'd love to get to know you. We'd love for you to come back and join us for that. I, 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 I thought it was going to be something different. I think we're having wraps today. That's okay. They're really good from Publix. Uh, Will Chriswell's got those, and he'll have them here after a while. But then also, a couple of prayer requests. One, Joe Hunziker. Uh, his mother died. Joe's mom lived in Switzerland. He went up there last week. It's a 10-hour drive one way. Came back, fortunately saw her just before she died, but he's going back up this weekend. So that's a lot of travel uh, for Joe. If you would be praying for him. And also, Ted McKinney is going to be going to Suriname uh, on Tuesday. Now, we've got Ted getting into the jungle. We're not sure we can get him out. That's, so that's a prayer request, if you, if you would be praying for that. And pray that we get him out, all right? So don't be praying the other way. Just kidding. There are, it's just a little bit of confusion about what day, how he comes out, that type of thing. So be praying for Ted. It's, it's quite an exciting uh, trip. He'll be preaching in two churches in the city, being ministering in the jungle for weeks, and a lot of ministry going on down that way. Well, I am quite familiar with today's text, which is 1 Corinthians 13. So are most of you, uh, almost all of you, in fact. This chapter describes the importance in the way of love, and it's, and it's one of the most familiar texts in the New Testament. I preached a sermon from this text many, many times when I was at TVR Christian Camp and conference center, one of the big differences about a parachurch ministry and a church preaching ministry, you, you preach the same sermons a number of times, so you become quite familiar with it. The Lord gave me the sermon on 1 Corinthians 13, some 35 to 40 years ago. I'm not sure exactly when he gave it to Warren Wearsby, but he gave it to me some 35 to 40 years ago. I usually preach 1 Corinthians 13 with the focus of relationships that are important to teenagers, parents, siblings, school friends, etc. But it applied and it continues to apply to marriages and work relationships and neighborhood interactions. I have never, though, preached 1 Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13 in a series, series where 12 is on the front end and 14 is on the back end. Although the principles are exactly the same, no matter how it is presented, let's ask the Lord to prepare our hearts for this chapter in relation to how we interact with one another in the church. And in view of what we are learning about spiritual gifts in the church. So would you pray with me before we read the text? 
Father, uh, there are so many facets and aspects to church life, just as there are so many facets and aspects to any family life, community life, national life, world life. Lord, as we come to this text, while there are so many applications we can make <clears throat> for our lives that are outside the church, help us especially to think about the ways that we are called to love one another, for it is by our love that all will know that we are your disciples. So speak to our heart from this beautiful, difficult, challenging, wonderful text, 1 Corinthians 13, that beautifully displays the kind of love that Jesus has had and has as a human being, Lord, one of us, and that the Father had for us in sending the Son that He loved <clears throat> far greater than any love we can know this side of eternity, sending His Son to die for us. The Holy Spirit who gives us these gifts in the church to serve one another and, and in service of the gospel dwells among us today, and we pray that he will take this word and that the end would be love. In the name of one who showed us what true love is, Jesus. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13, all 13 verses. If you would, please stand as the text is being read for the Honor we give to the word. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. <clears throat> love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated.
<clears throat> Ricky Neal told me this past week that one of the spiritual disciplines or the spiritual discipline that he's focusing the most on this year is meditating on scripture. What a great place to, to practice that discipline. First Corinthians 13. Just think of all that you would receive if you would meditate, take time and ruminate, turn the, 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 the truth of 1 Corinthians 13 over and over in your mind. It's love it turns out is not at all the same as you would hear about in any contemporary cultural setting that I'm aware of. E even though neither Jesus nor the Holy Spirit are mentioned in this chapter, this love has only ever been fully witnessed among humans in Jesus' life and sacrificial death. And only as the Holy Spirit fills us with resurrection power can we hope to live with any semblance of the love that is described here. We immediately see the connection with Paul's teaching about spiritual gifts in the first line. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So understand this in these first three verses, Paul's language is hyperbolic. He employs hyperbole to the extreme. That's kind of redundant, isn't it? In these first three verses. So it's problematic to insist that the Corinthians were speaking with an angelic language. It's just as problematic to say that as it would be to insist that someone has moved a mountain by faith. The point is that no matter how prominent one's spiritual gift is, if it is not employed in the service of others that flows from a heart of love, then it's nothing more than a noisy gong. Whenever I read that verse, I think about the old gong show. Did anybody ever see the old gong show? Apparently, I never saw it, but apparently people come and display their talent or lack thereof. And the point of the show was it was the lack of talent often that caused the gong to ring, whatever a point was reached, a panel of judges would ring the gong, and that meant, uh, you're not going to win. Please exit the stage. I can imagine sometimes on earth we're strutting, strutting around, displaying the wonderful gifts that God has given us, and we're doing it out of pride or out of selfish reasons and the Lord is in heaven saying, angel, somebody ring the gong. Come on. That's what, this is enough of that. Because that's what we are, short of love. Then in verse 2, if I have the perfect answer to the predestination free will debate, to the continual continuation or cessation of gifts. If I can lay out pre-mill, ah-mill, post-mill, and perfectly explain why I'm pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib rapture. If I could explain every verse in scripture, and if I could go up to visit my daughter and my, my, my son and their families who live in the mountains, and I said, Grandfather Mountain, be cast into the Atlantic. Well, Come on, cast into the Pacific Ocean. And it did. But I have no love. I'm nothing. What about verse 3? 
If I give every penny I have to the poor, if I offer myself to the flames like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. How important is love? It appears to be everything. And while 1 Corinthians 13 describes love for one's fellow believers, which expands to all men and women around the world, love for others is meaningless without first having love for the Lord our God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strengths. Love is that important. And just to say this about getting it in order, there are a lot of people who talk greatly about loving your brothers and sisters uh, and how um, social justice is every bit as important as faith in Christ as far as our redemption is concerned. But no, social justice flows from our love for the Lord. But social justice is going to be limited and misguided and misdirected if we don't first love the Lord our God with all our hearts, soul, and mind. In verses 4 through 7, love is more described than defined. When, over 30 years ago, our elders determined to write the core values for Grace Community Church, you'll hear it in a few weeks if you're coming to our Grace Connection class. And if you would like, anytime you can go online and... and and read our core values. But when we were doing the process, it turned out to be much more who are we than who do we want to be. If you ask Paul, what is love? He might well say, well, rather than define it, let me just tell you what it it looks like. So in these four verses, Paul chooses 15 verbs to describe love with a mix of positive expressions of love and descriptions of what love is not. <clears throat> First, love is patient and it's kind. I often hear people who are blown away with the knowledge that our youth and students have of Scripture. Um, especially those who encounter them for the first time. When you come to a Grace Connection class, they always have good answers. That's a testimony to, to the children's ministry, to youth ministry, and to the parents among us. But when people talk about how, how much these guys know about Scripture, I always want to say, that's nothing. You ought to see how well they love. <clears throat> I mean, when they're at home <clears throat> and their mom would say something like, if one of their moms would say something like, Honey, this is the third time I've asked you to pick up the clothes off your floor. They will respond with something like, Oh, mother, how silly of me to have forgotten. I will go and do that right away. I mean, maybe that's it. Okay, maybe I have the gift of prophecy. That's the new heavens and the new earth, don't you think? When that's going to come. Why is it that we are the most impatient and unloving with the people that we love the most. It's bizarre, isn't it? Maybe because we love ourselves a little bit more <clears throat> than we love 
the others around us. Patience and kindness should extend well beyond the family, though. <clears throat> D.A. Carson's comments are quite helpful and quite convicting. Love is patient. The word usually suggests not merely willingness to wait a long time or endurance of suffering without giving way, but endurance of injuries without retaliation. Love is kind, not merely patient or long-suffering in the face of injury, but quick to pay back with kindness what it received in hurt. When is the last time you did that besides never? It's not common, is it? Next, <clears throat> love does not envy or boast. Love is not jealous of someone else's possessions, nor is love proud of what one owns that makes others jealous. It's not envious of others' positions in the church. Love does not look down on others, nor does it claw its way to a place of prominence and honor. Outside of church, love does not envy someone else's looks or abilities or intellect or social skills or parents, families. Perhaps the best way to deal with the temptation to jealousy, and this is not easy, but I promise you it's helpful. Maybe the best way when you're tempted to be jealous of someone else is to give thanks for those persons, that person's gifts. In your organization, at work, in your neighborhood, <clears throat> in your church, in your home group, <clears throat> when someone else seems to gain more admiration <clears throat> than you do from others, just say, Lord, thank you for blessing us this way. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of something like this. Thank the Lord. Our church has been blessed with ministry for which we can be grateful and give him praise. Next, love is not arrogant, nor is it rude. Life in our day and in our land drives us to promote ourselves, but love is not puffed up. At the very least, consider not painting your life on social media as the one to be desired above all others. We don't think about these things these days. Our mindset is so different. Those of you who are older, you remember what, what the teaching was. Um, abase yourself. Give glory to God. Lift up others, but never yourself. 
you know, now, and, and, and look, I'm going to be just as happy as anybody else, and I don't want to ruin the Cuba trip for you. But you know what it's like? You go on a mission trip, and you work 14 days serving the Lord, then it's like, ah. And some people read that, look at what I've done. Now, we want to rejoice with you, but let somebody else take the picture. Let the leaders take the pictures. I don't know. It's radical. This life that we're called to, this love is radical. Here's another way that, that love is not arrogant or rude. You ever, you ever been driving down the road and someone pulls out in front of you? It's, it's too close for comfort. What do you do in that spot? I tell you what most people do when I, I the other day I was pulling out and man, I, it was a curve coming around. I didn't see. And I got in one of those situations and then I sped up and, and, and just put my hand up and Allison said, he didn't, not only did he not slow down, he sped up. You know that. It just goes on in our day. Everybody's trying to make a point. Love is the exact opposite. God didn't call us to be a part of our age. And I can promise you, as the days get darker, only the bright light of Christ is going to make a difference. It's going to make some people mad. But some are going to say, I want some of that. When we love like Christ loves. Rudeness which used to be somewhat rare in the South, is almost endemic in our nation. It's just part of the fabric. It's part of who we are. Another comment might be helpful. This one from Gregory Lockwood. Quote, love does not behave improperly. It is concerned for what is right in the Lord's sight and also takes care not to offend others. Not What is right, look, I have my rights. I'm telling you, give me what I deserve. None of that. It is concerned for what is right in the Lord's sight. And you know what he says? Somebody defrauds you, let them have it. Give them more. They take your coat, give them your your shirt too. Agree with your adversary on the way to the court. We're not... We're not good at any of this, but it's what he calls for. Paul often calls on Christians to conduct themselves in a proper and dignified fashion in various aspects of their lives, in their conduct toward the opposite sex, 1 Corinthians 7.35, in their conduct during worship, 14.40, we'll get to in a few weeks, and in proper and responsible ethical conduct in general, and then the two verses there. Close quote. Then, love does not insist on its own way. So when exactly do you think Paul had, had finished preaching and had gone to meddling? How often do you insist on your own way? Who controls the TV in your home? Who picks the restaurant almost every time? Who demands to be heard when a decision must be made by the church? 
I know this could be seen as a, a bit of boasting, and perhaps I'm violating one of the other earlier restrictions on behavior, but I wish you could just be in one of our elders and deacons meetings that happen on the first Wednesday of the month. In addition to enjoying one another's company, the decision-making process is a testament to mutual cooperation and celebrating the best ideas. Positions are not taken because someone dominates the discussion, but because all are allowed to participate and be a part of the discussion. Even that many people, we have maybe 20 people in there talking and anyone can, not everybody does, but anyone is able to speak up. And when someone has an idea that's better than the one that was just given, even that person, we all say, that's best. Yes, that's a great idea. <clears throat> Such a spirit of camaraderie has to be cultivated, though. Sometimes it begins when individuals who are so inclined curb the impulse to dominate. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It's not easily angered. Love does not have a short fuse. What does it take? How much does it take to make you angry? <clears throat> Proverbs 24, uh, 22 verses 24 and 25 says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger. Nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. That's true for just about anything. You better be very, very careful how you choose your friends because they're going to impact you. They're going to shape you. I once heard someone say that if you're a man, especially a young man, you struggle with pride, with lust, and with anger. I won't deal with the first two, but here's a hint for the younger men among us. If you do not allow the Lord to help you with anger at this point in your life, it's not going to get better. You're only going to grow angrier over time until you make such a serious mistake that you have to get help. Same is true for women. I mean, anger is a temptation to all of us. And unless we work on it, it's just going to grow within us. And it's not loving. Love <clears throat> is not resentful. The, the NIV translates it this way. It keeps no record of wrongs. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. You might would think that Paul was drawing from the book of Proverbs to write 1 Corinthians 13. That's how scripture works. New Testament is over and over and over and over just a restatement of the Old Testament. So yes, the Old Testament is important. Hang in there. Numbers, Leviticus, those of you who are there right now and you're thinking, I'm not going to make this. Hang in there. You'll make it. In our day, you often hear, speak truth to power, stand up for yourself, make sure your voice is heard. But God says it is a glory to overlook an offense. Now, I, I get there are levels 
I get their systemic stuff. I, I get all of the comments about it. You know what? It's, I don't really rarely have the guts to say this, but, but here's what I, what I think Scripture most often says. If something has been done wrong to you, it's far better that someone else defends you than you defend yourself even. Now, you can defend yourself. Stand up for yourself. I'm not saying don't. But just don't be in the habit of every single thing that happens. Standing up for yourself. Let it go. It is a glory <clears throat> to overlook an offense. But even this good discipline can lead to us keeping accounts of the wrong that have been done to us. And so one day we might say, <clears throat> okay, I haven't said anything about this before, but you want to know why, why I'm really upset? You know what you did last night? Same thing you did two months ago. Same thing you did 12 months ago. Same thing you did the year before. <clears throat> you realize what's happening when you... Do you know how hurtful that is to somebody you love? It's, it, I, I, I have to struggle with this. I, because I am pretty good at overlooking offenses. Until my last nerve, last straw, whatever you want to call then it comes pouring out. That's terrible. Love can't do that. It keeps no record of wrongs. When you forgive it, you got to let it go. Now, look, we use all kinds of little Christian statements, comments that really don't mean what they say. Things like, well, I can love you, but I don't have to like you. Or, I can forgive you, but I can't forget it. When, really, if you're being honest, you're just saying, I don't, any of that. But, truly, forgiveness. Does God, I hear people say, when you come to God about a sin that you've committed, and you say, Lord, please forgive me, and you've confessed it a hundred times, he's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about, uh, I don't know about this sin because he forgave it the first time, right? Well, it's not so much like that. He's God. He understands. He knows everything. He, he doesn't forget anything. But what he's done is chosen not to hold that sin against us. And that's what he calls us to do in our forgiveness of others is not hold the sin against them and not to keep a little checklist and one day pull it out and say, uh-huh, let's talk about it now. My wife, Allison, is a really good example of this to me. She tells me things. Maybe she'll tell me something that happened to her or what somebody did to her. And she forgets about it. I don't. You know, I say, you don't remember that? And she's like, no, I don't remember that. I'm like, thank you, Lord, for such a beautiful example of someone not holding people's sins against them. To not remember their sins against us should not be confused with having a casual attitude towards sin. Love does not rejoice or take pleasure in wrongdoing, but it always joyfully celebrates truth. Now, there's some level of weeping with those who weep and, and, and uh, rejoicing with those who rejoice. And when the name of 
Jesus is exalted and when others have good things happen to him. But it goes so far beyond that. It never wishes harm on one's uh, opponents. And it always is glad and grateful when Jesus is exalted through the actions or gifts of others. And it's the never and always that gets us, right? Verse 7 says that love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Are you generally a trusting soul or are you usually skeptical, even cynical of others until they prove you wrong? Wouldn't it be better to believe the best about others, giving them grace whenever possible and being surprised when they act out of selfish motives? Oh, I, wow, I didn't, I, you know, I just didn't expect that. Um, wouldn't that be better than being the one who brags about, well, you may have seen it a mile away, I spotted it 10 miles away. Anthony Thistleton translates verse 7 this way. Love never tires of support. It never loses faith. It never exhausts support. It never gives up. Parents, good word. Good word for you. Love never gives up on your brothers and sisters in the church or your family, or your neighbors, or your work companions, or your enemies. 1 Corinthians 13, love is not natural. It's not. Can't work it up. Can't say, oh, it's a good idea, let's have it. Let's, let's, let's make it happen. It's supernatural. It is spiritual. It is Holy Spirit generated. That's why the Apostle Paul can say in verse 8, love never ends. As for these spiritual gifts upon which we put so much emphasis, they will pass away. When will they pass away? When, verse 10 says, the perfect comes. The question is, what is the perfection that will render tongues, knowledge, prophecy, unnecessary. Some think it's the completion of the canon or when the Bible was completed after the apostles passed away at the end of the first century. The holy scriptures were not fully codified though until the fourth century when Athanasius put his stamp of approval on the 27 books we have as the New Testament. Look, by the end of the first century, almost all of the books with a couple of exceptions, James and Jude Maybe Hebrews had, there was a little bit of concern about it. They weren't, just weren't exactly sure about it. But everybody knew that these were the Holy Scriptures. And so some people think that what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 is that when the canon is completed and there's no longer a need for apostles and prophets, then we won't need these different sorts of gifts that are more like sign gifts. We'll talk about sign gifts next week. But that's a difficult interpretation. Now, I, I do want to say it, the, the argument is a lot more sophisticated than I just gave. There's a passive and active verbs in, um, in this text. 
So it's, it's, you can't just write it off and say, that is ridiculous. It is far more likely, though, I am convinced, that Paul was referring to Jesus' return when he was talking about that which is perfect has come. At which time, according to verse 12, we will no longer look into a foggy or distorted mirror with our inconsistencies and misplaced justifications. But we will know and understand even as we are fully known. And I think this excites me as much as anything about heaven. Look, I'm going to be so glad to be done with this sinful flesh and, and, and the temptation to sin. I'm going to be so glad to see Jesus just like we all are because in that moment, the fears that we have about seeing him will melt away. I'm going to be so glad to know how all of this works. I don't know how you write that down exactly, but all of this. I just want to see how it all works together. One of the beauties of this life is to be content with mystery. Mystery. How does God, why does he what does he do? I think verse 11 is telling me that there is much I can grasp in this life so long as I focus more on the power of the Holy Spirit to love as I should than on the spiritual gifts that he has given me. My daughter Elizabeth was just so cute when she was learning to talk. She was very shy, but she only needed one word when she was learning to talk. Church! And she'd suck that bottle. She'd go stand up on the pew, you know, at church. And, and she would say, church, because she knew we were at church. I never recall anybody saying to her, you stupid kid, get that bottle out of your mouth and talk so somebody can understand. Look, she was 14 months old, right? She was supposed to do like that. But if you had walked in this morning and you had seen one of our elders or deacons standing on the chair going, I, I get back up, up, church, you might, uh, you'd be rightly concerned. Let's just put it that way. How many extremely gifted believers are putting their spiritual immaturity on display in this matter over ridiculous stuff in church. Lord, teach us to love. Give us the love of Jesus in our hearts for others. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. This morning at the end of this service, we come to the Lord's table to share this meal together in which we remember the love of the Father that sent Jesus to the cross. Since none of us can love as we are required in 1 Corinthians 13, we disqualify ourselves for the righteousness that we must have in order for God to accept us and to allow us into his presence. 
We're already born that way, but we confirm day after day after day that we're a sinner. Because the Lord loved us, he gave his only son to be born into the world that the father created through the son. Something had to be done about our sin. And Jesus loved us enough to take the punishment that should have been given to us for all eternity. And when we understand God's love shown to us in the sacrifice of Christ, oh, at that time, if you see it, if you ever see it, cry out in your heart to God for the forgiveness of sins and put your hope firmly in Jesus based on what he did, dying in your place. And if you've never done it, just encourage you in your heart right now to say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I deserve condemnation. Thank you that Jesus took my place and took the condemnation that I deserved. And dear Jesus, come into my heart and save me now. I'd like to ask the elders and deacons, staff, those who are serving at the table today, the worship team also, to come forward, and I'll give a few instructions as they are coming. First is just a word of information. Um, we will be serving from the front today. The, the, the bread that you will receive is gluten-free, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, if you are here today and you're going to participate, and if you're a believer, we invite you to participate with us in this meal as we partake of this meal. Um, we'll come forward. You'll go to the station in front of your section, receive the bread and the juice, take them back to your station. We'll come up the interior aisles, go back up the middle and the outer aisles. Ushers will help you with this. Um, they'll alert you as to when you should come. And then go back to your uh, seat and we will partake together. Our text today comes from Luke chapter 22 where we are told, and when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffered. This compassion, this, this love that Jesus had for his disciples was welling up and, and pouring out and over, spilling over. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, given out of love, right? Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We are encouraged to examine ourselves before we eat this meal. In other words, if you have sin in your life this, from this past week, and who doesn't? 
from this past morning, from the last five minutes, whatever. Confess it in your heart to the Lord. He readily forgives you. Uh, unless you have sinned deeply against the body, uh, if you have made a mockery of Christ at this table, or if you've sinned against the body, those are the only things that should keep you from coming. Or if you're just committed to continuing to sin, it's a dangerous thing. If you're like, I'm, I'm, I don't think that's a sin. I can just do it. It's a dangerous thing. But otherwise, look, the stuff we all struggle with, confess your sin to God. He gladly forgives. And this table is a reminder that the gospel, we need the truth of the gospel just as much today as the day we got saved. So if you would just take just a moment in prayer, in prayer, in silent prayer, and then I will pray for us corporately in just a moment. Father, we, we confess when we read a, a beautiful passage of scripture like 1 Corinthians 13, when we get into it a little deeper, we find that it's revealing uh, an ugliness about us and our ways. But Lord, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus died to save us from our sins and he cleans us up and he, 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 he sent along with the Father the Spirit to us. And we have the resurrection power of Christ living in our lives. We acknowledge, though, that we have sinned in word, thought, and deed. We acknowledge that we have done things we ought not to have done and that we have left undone things that we should have done this week. And we confess our sin before you. And we give thanks for the bread and the fruit of the vine that remind us the body and blood of Christ that was given and poured out for our redemption. And so fill our hearts and our souls with this meal. In the name of Jesus, the one we remember, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.